Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Heko nai purangi te nei na te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. This is my favorite thing. My favorite thing about working with bees is seeing the bees chew their way out of their little wax, out of their little wax capping. So the bee that's under these cells here will, when they're ready, they'll start chewing this little wax capping off and emerge from these little cells. And it's so cute. It's the most cute process. Kia ora, no mai harumai kitiao hurihanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, Kuklekin Kanan Thene. PhD student Zoe Smeal has a rack from the hive in hand and she's scanning it for a honeybee emerging from a brood cell to show me. See this there? one? Yeah, there we exactly. Are. Isn't see, that see so the little cute? Antenna see the little poking ant- out. No! That's so cute. How do I see it? And do you see this one here that's crawling around? That will be, she'll be like a really newbie because she's so furry um, and she kind of looks a bit dewy almost. This one, this one there. Oh yeah. And they do stumble around just like any yeah. newborn. So they don't fly quite yet. They, they kind of trying to get their bearings. Yeah, you can see this whole, this whole frame is about to, all these bees are about to emerge. Newbies. I really didn't know a lot about beads before going on a tour with Zoe and her fellow PhD student Rose McGrady. But now I'm at the top of the Tokiarata building in the Kelburn campus of Victoria University of Wellington in a bee suit in what's essentially a large metal cage with four beehives in it. And I'm learning a lot, especially about the stages of bee development. And it all starts with this lady. I'm just looking for the There she is. Here she is. Oh, she's beautiful. Yeah. That's your fat abdomen. Yeah. She's quite a lot bigger, isn't she? Yeah. And she lays up to, is it 2,000 eggs a day? She yeah. can lay up to 2,000 eggs in a day. And does she deposit just like a, an egg per comb? Yeah. There were some on that frame that I just put down. But yeah, she just puts her abdomen in a cell and poops it out. These cells are about five millimeters across, and so the eggs are tiny. They hatch into the larva stage, a teeny tiny pale grub that sits in the cell. And it's essentially got one job, which is to eat and then grow. It gets help to do this from nurse bees who bring food to the little cell. Zoe shows me cells with some larvae that are curled up in the bottom. Oh, and I can see them at different sizes. Yeah, so the small oh. ones are kind of roughly the stage that we would be, um, that we would bring into the lab. They're kind of robust enough to um, not be cannibalized by the nurse bees, and also uh, young enough to still be kind of fed enough of the treatment for the experiment. And that's why the hives are here on campus, to provide participants for different experiments investigating a new type of technology that could help the bees against their greatest enemy. But we'll get back to that. These small larvae we're looking at are about two days after hatching. Around 10 days after the larva has grown tremendously, worker bees cap the cell with wax and the larva spins a cocoon around itself. This is the pupa stage. So the little honeycomb-shaped brood cells are covered over and inside a new adult bee forms until it's ready to chew its way out, 
Zoe's favourite thing to witness. The whole thing takes about 21 days for a worker bee, who make up the majority of the hive. So here you can see they've started to store some pollen. Um, pollen that's going to ferment into bee bread, uh, which is what they use to feed their larvae. I think I just saw a drone. There's a drone running I can around. show you. Uh, here he is. Yeah. So this, see how this bee is really different from all the other ones? It's got these big bug eyes. Um, it's a lot larger, um, kind of has a furry butt. Maybe that's a male bee, uh, which are referred to as drones. They don't do anything in a hive. They just hang around, eat up resources. <laughs> they so don't do every, anything. everyone else is a lady bee? Everyone else is a female, yeah. They're the most useful. But these bees, male or female, useful or less useful, have a nemesis, as all honeybees around the world do. And actually, that's why we're up at the hives. I need to open up this hive because I treated um, them for their spring. I gave them their spring treatment. Um, so I just need to take that out. It's so it's just normal treatment that beekeepers would use, uh, normal chemical treatment that beekeepers would use. Amitraz is an insecticide and arachicide, which is the word for chemicals that kill mites, which is what the bee's main foe is, the varroa destructor mite. Down in the lab, Rose McGrady fills me in on the gory details. Varroa mites parasitize honeybees. They basically chew a hole in the side of the bee and then they target the guess you call it the fat body, but it's basically the equivalent of the liver in a human. And if you can imagine a parasite on you, the size of a dinner plate, feeding on you, that is the equivalent of a varroa mite on a honeybee. And what does this mean for people who have honeybee hives who are trying to make a, a living out of it? It's very hard. You cannot maintain a beehive in this country. Well, anywhere in the world now, unfortunately, now that Australia also has this parasite, you have to treat for this parasite two, three, sometimes four times a year, which does cost money. Otherwise your hive will collapse or die. As Zoe explains, the mites can impact the bees in a couple of ways, which just accumulate and spell really bad news for the hive. A lot of the damage also comes from the virus that, or multiple viruses that Varroa can vector to bees, um, and that can really decimate large populations. One of the viruses, called deformed wing virus, in bees that are parasitized as they're becoming adults, they emerge from these cells with kind of deformed wings, so they can't fly, they don't take care of the brood, um, and you can really knock down uh, the population in a hive that way. But even Varroa itself, you know, it's, fe it's feeding on a very important organ in bees that is involved in immune responses. Um, and so it, can, it really has negative effects um, at the individual level, which translates to colony level effects. Gotcha. So not only do you have to worry about this dinner plate sized parasite mm -hmm. that's chewing on yeah. some kind of vital organ, they're <laughs> also bringing in viruses mm -hmm. that further impact the bees in the hives yeah. at a population level. Mm -hmm. Impacts um, their way to navigate as well. Um, this virus impacts the brain of bees, so it actually gets into the brain and uh, impacts like neurological processes and stuff. So it's pretty bad on all fronts. And you're basically investigating a new way to deal with these, but what's the current way that beekeepers treat for varroa mite? The current way beekeepers use now is using pesticides, basically, chemical or organic 
but you put it directly into the hive. It controls the varroa, but it can have non-target effects on your bees. Being a pesticide, it's not good for non-target species. It's not good for the health of the bees, and it can have effects on the environment. So this new technology is looking for a, a more eco-friendly, more specific way of controlling this pest without harming bees or people or the environment. Do we know how long varroa mite has been in New Zealand? They picked up on it in 2000, early 2000s, uh, so we've had just over 20 years experience with it, but we are beginning to see resistance to some of our chemical treatments developing potentially, so there is an increasing need to look for new technologies like RNA interference. RNA interference. That's what both Zoe and Rose are investigating as a potential new treatment for varroa mites and bees. The actual treatment they're studying has been developed by a US company called Greenlight Biosciences. But first, what is RNA interference? Now, there are a few types of RNA, but for now, we just need the messenger RNA refresher. DNA encodes our genes, but to turn them into proteins that do the work in the cells, there's an RNA step in the middle. This is messenger RNA. It's made by copying off DNA and then used elsewhere in the cell as a blueprint to build a protein. RNA interference is a natural process um, actually conserved across all eukaryotes and so it is an, it involved in antiviral responses um, in invertebrates specifically and it works by recognizing a type of molecule called double-stranded RNA. So it will see this molecule and will kind of chop it up into smaller um, fragments. So we've got this natural system within cells that's set up to kind of cut up double-stranded RNA. Mm -hmm. Is that because many viruses look like this? Exactly, yeah. So RNA viruses, when they're replicating, they produce this dsRNA intermediate in order for them to replicate. And so this pathway has evolved to recognize those molecules. So what you're essentially doing is kind of using this useful pathway mm -hmm. that's already there. Yeah. And so you make a piece of RNA that matches up, pairs up mm -hmm. with what you're trying to target. And exactly. then the cell goes, oh, look, that's double-stranded. I'm going to chop yeah. that up. Yeah. You can imagine um, for Varroa, for example, if we administer an RNA molecule that is similar in sequence to a specific messenger RNA that encodes for a vital protein for mites, for example, we can knock down expression of this protein through this pathway by degrading um, this mRNA. Basically, it's another one of these cool ways to hack existing pathways in cells to our advantage. So you send in a piece of RNA that matches with a vital protein messenger RNA. They stick together as matching RNA sequences tend to do. And this forms double-stranded RNA, or dsRNA for short. That then triggers the pathway, so the cell chops it up before there's a chance for the protein to be made. And without this vital protein, the mites are then in trouble. Sounds handy, but it's very tricky to get right. For this to work, you need to find a protein to target that's really important to the mites, but not found in other critters, because this could then lead to off-target effects. 
there's also differences in how long the mRNA and proteins stick around for. So ideally, you'd like to have a protein that has mRNA that hangs out in the cell for a while, giving opportunity for the double-stranded RNA to form and be chopped up. But then you'd also like the protein to have a really short turnover time, meaning that your treatment will be reasonably effective. To be very clear, this is not genetic modification. No genes are altered, there are no long-lasting intergenerational effects. Anyway, the US company Greenlight Biosciences were investigating this, and they found an RNA interference treatment that seemed to work. So they got in touch with Rose and Zoe's supervisor, Professor Phil Lester. They actually began field trials 2015-2016, and they were seeing the effects of this particular RNA interference treatment in beehives and then they kind of have taken a step back and done some lab trials with us to find out okay we know from our field trials we are seeing an effect on varroa mites but what is actually happening and how is this treatment reducing mite populations which is where our mini hive experiment came into play and where we discovered that it was actually in fact targeting reproduction rather than killing mites. And this is what the bees upstairs have been used for. Half-sized brood frames are lifted out and brought down to the lab to participate in the mini-hive experiments. Zoe takes one out to show me. We have a mini-hive here. Which is just a cardboard box. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, clear at the front and there's a little bit of uh, mesh at the Glass, top. and windows and we've got this mesh on the um, right-hand side. So the two halves of the box are separated by this perspex um, divider. And we have these, what we call mini hives, which are just a half size of a full depth frame. And they just sit in one half of the box like that. So you can see with, through the window, we can monitor brood that will be on this. If you remember, they take out the brood frames after the eggs have hatched, when the larvae are about two days old. We populate the hive with brood that is at a specific stage in their development and bees to take care of those bees. And those bees that are in the hive will forage on these little treatment pouches that we put in the foraging chamber of the hive. And then they will feed this treatment to um, the larvae that they're taking care of. And Varroa have a very interesting life cycle. It's very um, connected to the bee. They reproduce by going inside the cells of larvae um, to reproduce. And when the cells are capped over, um, that's when they start their reproduction. And so the, the mites are really exposed to the treatment when they go into these cells. The treatment pouches are just plastic bags filled with sugar water and the RNA interference treatments with little holes poked in the side. So the nurse bees feed on this and then they bring it back to the cell and kind of regurgitate it back up for the larvae to eat. Which, as Zoe said, works well to target the mites because they also hang out in the brood cells as part of their life cycle. So they used these mini hive experiments to investigate a few things about the treatment. We wanted to look at the survival of the mites. Number one, are we finding dead mites in the pupil cells when we uncap them? We wanted to see if it was affecting the bee pupae as well. Is it, is it having a non-target effect on bees that we weren't expecting? It's meant to just affect the varroa, but we also do need to be really sure that it isn't having a negative effect on our developing bees. 
And then we looked at varroa reproduction. So we counted how many offspring we were finding within the cells of the bee pupae, along with their mother mite. Uh, is it basically in a nutshell? And then also we looked at deformed wing virus symptoms. So looking for bees with crumpled wings or shortened abdomens to give us an idea of how this treatment was affecting the virus that varroa vectors. And I guess because it's a mini hive experiment in a lab, you were able to kind of control things, right? So would you have set this up with you know, this many number of bees and then infect them with mites? Or do they already come with the mites with them? They came with a small amount of mites because all beehives have mites, varroa mites to some level. But we did add another 40 to 50 varroa mites to each mini hive. So we had some idea of what the infestation level was at. And then when we came to retrieving our mites at the end of the experiment two weeks later, we had an idea of how many were in there initially and then how many had been affected by the treatment. And what did the results look like? Pretty good. So we found that it wasn't killing varroa mites based on our results. We retrieved pretty similar amounts of varroa mites at the end of the experiment for all of our treatments. But when it came to looking at reproduction and counting the number of offspring varroa had had, we found that for our treatment, most of the foundresses or the mother mites had no offspring at all. Whereas on average, you would find five to six offspring running around in there with a mother, including the male and the four or five daughters, and we were getting absolutely nothing, which was great to see. Not only that, but they could actually see a difference in the varroa mite eggs. We did actually observe weird white kind of gluggy masses underneath the reproductive plate in varroa mites for the ones that had been treated. So we saw that the eggs were kind of malformed and it, was, it had just turned to gloop, yeah. basically, and they weren't able to lay the viable eggs. So that was a cool result. Bad news for the mites. Potentially good news for the bees. The lab experiments and subsequent gene expression studies that Zoe did has helped them to understand a bit more about how the RNA interference is working. But of course, the key question is around its effectiveness in real beehives. Back on the rooftop walkway, Zoe is carefully taking the treatment tabs of pesticide out of the hive. I ask Rose how you go about testing the RNA interference treatment in the field. You find some willing beekeepers wanting to participate in a trial like this. So Phil and I did scout out some beekeepers at the apiculture conference last year to find who would be willing participants in this trial. And we found one for the North Island, so we found a beekeeper in Bulls and another beekeeper in Ashburton who were willing to participate and basically sacrifice their hives to a field trial because you don't know what's going to happen and like all trials you do need to have control groups which meant these hives would not receive any treatment for varroa and of course as we know if you don't treat for varroa you will lose that beehive. What stage is that at then? Have those field trials begun? So we got all the permits that we needed so MPI and EPA permits to conduct these field trials. We signed off with uh, the company that's providing the treatment as well as the beekeepers and we began our trials last summer just gone so 2022 we started in October 
and we tried these treatments out in beehives. We had 160 beehives in Ashburton and 160 in bulls. And yeah, we've just gotten the results from that trial. It went for a year. We wanted to see how this treatment was affecting hives for a long period of time. And each hive received a spring treatment and an autumn treatment just to replicate what would happen in a normal hive. We had two doses of this DSRNA product that we trialled and then we had a sugar water control treatment but of course there's no point developing a new product without seeing how it compares to the products already available so we also had a treatment where the hives received the classic chemicals pesticides that beekeepers use now so we had an apivar and baverol combo for our fourth treatment. And what were the results? How did it stack up? So we found that in bulls that the DSRNA treatment was effective in controlling mite levels for 18 to 24 weeks. It kept mite levels quite low. It wasn't quite as effective as the Apivar Baverol treatment, which was a little disappointing, but at the same time, this treatment is more targeted for Varroa and it's less toxic. And to see that it was still effectively controlling mite levels was great to see. In Ashburton, unfortunately, we had bigger hives at the start of the trial and the treatment proved to not be quite as effective in controlling mite levels, which is why we are conducting another experiment this upcoming summer to see how much treatment is needed per hive to ensure that it's effective in controlling varroa reproduction. And I believe there's something else that you're going to investigate in the upcoming trial just to check on how the bees themselves are doing, right? Correct. So the trials in the field that we just conducted last summer, we looked at a lot of different factors in the hive. We looked at how this treatment affected the number of bees, how many frames of brood, the prevalence of disease and how the queen was laying, as well as mite levels and hive survival. But these are all very obvious effects. We wanted to also look at on the individual bee level, is this DSRNA treatment having any effects on the bees, whether it's positive or negative. So what we will be doing is putting little RFID tags on the backs of bees and basically monitoring the life of a bee for each of the different treatments to match up with what we did in the field trials. So we will be looking at the average life span of an individual bee as well as its foraging activity. So how long is it leaving the hive for? How many trips is it making? Do we see any evidence of this treatment affecting their ability to come back home to the hive or reducing their contribution to the hive? I mean, that's incredible. Like bees are pretty small and you're going to put a little tag on them? Yeah, it's fiddly work. You do need to chill the bees out so they're quite slow moving or you, you put to sleep. You don't have very much time to put this tag on. You have to use tweezers. I can't have coffee when I'm trying to do this experiment and it's just a bit of Sally's super glue and you're away laughing. So these are the field trials that are taking place in New Zealand. Are there corresponding field trials that are taking place in the US or are they past that stage now? The US have done multiple trials over the last few years. i I'm not entirely sure if they're planning on doing another experiment. They're coming into winter now, so they will have just been wrapping up their summer 
trials, they have found that the DSRNA treatment is actually more effective than their apiviral chemical treatments over there, their pesticide, and that is because over in the States, varomites have developed resistance to a lot of the chemicals that are available to beekeepers, and with no new chemical treatments coming through, this DSRNA is a beacon of hope really for beekeepers over in the States. They lose 50% of their beehives every year and Varroa is a massive driver of those losses. And so the company has actually gone ahead and applied for approval from their equivalent of the EPA, right? Yes, so they are hoping to have this product out for their beekeepers to use in a year if all things go well. And in terms of New Zealand timeline, what are you looking at? We need to do more research to make sure it isn't having any unexpected non-target effects on any of our species. As we've learnt in this country, it's really important that you tick as many boxes as you can before introducing something into an environment. In terms of trying to identify potential off-target effects, is that just doing a big sequence check or do you actually have to run different trials on things that might be related that might have an impact like native mites or arachnids or so we are doing a big sequence check as you've said making sure that the sequence that we are using uh, doesn't match other species uh, and on top of that because we are putting it into a beehive it's quite a focused environment so we are hoping like the number of species that will come into contact with it is limited anyway but we are looking at wax moth which is another parasite of beehives but it's in a beehive and it will likely come into contact with this treatment so we're doing a non-target effect on those as well as bumblebees because you will get bumblebees sneaking into beehives every now and then and obviously we don't want it to be having any non-target effects on those. This is a brand new kind of treatment for New Zealand. RNA interference hasn't been used as a control for anything as yet here. So as part of her research, Rose has also been talking to beekeepers about the social side of things, about their perspectives on the treatment. I ask her what kind of things she's been hearing from them. Surprisingly really positive results from the beekeepers I've talked to. I expected a lot more uncertainty and um, apprehension at something so new. But based on the talks I've had around the country, it's sounding positive. Beekeepers are desperate to find a new method for controlling bees that doesn't hurt their bees um, and that is more eco-friendly. Thanks to PhD students Rose McRuddy and Zoe Smeal from the School of Biological Sciences at Teheranawaka, Victoria University of Wellington, and to their supervisor, Professor Phil Lester, for his help in arranging the interview and for the loan of his bee suit. This one was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with help from Liz Garten and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by Steve Burridge, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Our webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz or find us on Facebook or X. Oh, and if you like listening to Our Changing World, I can highly recommend a new short video documentary series that has just been released on the RNZ website and YouTube channel. 
It's called The Turning Point. In the six episodes follow different kaitiaki who are working on conservation projects in their communities. It's beautifully shot. And if you have an interest in the environment or conservation here in Aotearoa, it's well worth a watch. Find it at rnz.co.nz slash turning point or on the RNZ YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Kia pai, te wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.